Trials are a part of life. Have you ever wondered why God allows trials in the lives of Christians? Here's Pastor John Randall. It's not his desire that any should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of his son. And so he gives us time. He digs around our life. And you know what he uses to dig around our lives? Sometimes trials, sometimes hardships, sometimes broken relationships. It's like he's digging into my life. What is going on here? What is happening here? God's trying to get your attention, friend. God's trying to get your attention through his long suffering and forbearance to get you to repent, to get you to see your need for him. And so this is falling apart and that's not happening and and this thing fell through and you don't have an answer for it and really you've been running from God and God's the one. It's just like he's digging around that tree. He's digging around your life and he's uprooting things and pulling things out. Meanwhile, he's trying to pour things into you and you're not yielding to it, but there's hope, there's time that he gives you. How are things going, friend? Perhaps like the woman we'll meet today on a daily walk, you're suffering a great deal and in need of a touch from Jesus. Well, the good news is the Lord seeks to help and minister to those in that condition. Today, Pastor John Randall has an eye on Luke 13. We'll be addressing such questions as, why does God allow suffering into our lives? And what is the key to be free and delivered? So let's head over there now as we begin today's study. You're accountable for what you know. You're accountable for what you've heard. What have you done with the gospel? John the Baptist came onto the scene and he was saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus then followed that up following John's martyrdom. He preached the exact same message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that word repent is an invitation from God to turn to him and live so that you don't have to perish. This is the grace of God that has been extended unto us so that we can be saved. The word repent doesn't simply mean or imply that I am sorry that I got caught. I'm sorry that you found out. I feel bad about the fact that you're hurt because you became aware of the fact that I was doing something in secret. I'm sorry. That's not genuine repentance. That's worldly sorrow. There is a difference, the Bible says, True repentance is seeing my sin for what it is. True repentance is understanding that my sin is an offense against a loving and holy and gracious God. It is a recognition that apart from the work of grace in salvation, I'm eternally lost. I'm eternally lost without Jesus. There is no way that I can make it on my own merit. I have nothing apart from Jesus. And it's when I recognize my own sin for what it is, it should bring me to a place of brokenness and genuine humility and repentance, which produces a change of mind, which in turn produces a changed life. That is genuine repentance when it occurs. But many times we're not seeing that preached. We're not seeing that proclaimed. One pastor put it this way, He said, quote, biblical repentance is very different from the modern presentation that we are given of repentance today. To say that Jesus can only save us from our sorrows without saving us from our sins is a lie. We must be saved from sin. True repentance is when I finally see my sin not somebody else's. I'm not making excuses for it. I'm not justifying it. And I'm not somehow adding to God's grace by thinking in my own estimation, you know, down deep, I really am a good person. You just need to get to know me. 
Listen, God knows everything about me, and I'm not a good person apart from Jesus Christ and his spirit at work within my life. Deep down, I'm not that. The only thing that I'm deserving of is judgment, and he offers me mercy and grace and gives me a chance to repent. And it's when I come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit concerning my own sin that my pride is broken, and I surrender my will, and I'm humbled by his mercy, and I realize that I am undeserving, and in absolute penitence, I repent of my sin, and the Bible then says, I'm forgiven. The Bible says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It's when I mourn over my own sin that then I am comforted by the Spirit of God as I repent. Oh, the blessing that follows genuine repentance and the freedom that accompanies it, it's like having a weight. If you could imagine the heaviest weight you could ever put in your arms and not being able to carry it, but you're strapped to it and you can't breathe and then suddenly through repentance, it's like somebody took that weight and removed it and now you can breathe again. There's like new life. There's this freedom that you experience. That's what follows genuine repentance, a freedom. Have you experienced that? I can remember it so clearly when that happened in my life. I can remember it like it was yesterday, and I will never forget what it was to be truly forgiven. I can remember my sin, the weight of it, the conviction of it, and finally coming face to face with the fact that self-righteousness also isn't acceptable in the sight of God. I go to church. I have a Bible. I've been to a Christian school. I memorize verses. I can quote them to you. I can play worship songs. I can do all of these things in self-righteousness, which the Bible says is as filthy rags. I can look at somebody else and say, that guy is a heathen dog, but I'm not that way. Maybe I wouldn't say it that way. But nonetheless, I'm thinking that in my mind. That guy, is, that guy smokes crack. That guy does this. I don't do any of that. I choose my sins wisely. You know, and I, and I think about this. And I justify it in my mind, but I'll never forget the day when the weight of the conviction of the Spirit of God came upon me, and it's like I hit a wall. And in that moment, I realized I am a wretched sinner. Jesus, forgive me. Take it, Lord. I repent. I repent. Take it off of me. Lord, I don't want to be in bondage anymore. Lord, I don't want to play games with you anymore. I don't want to just go through the motions anymore. I genuinely repent. And in brokenness and humility, by the grace of God alone, God removed that weight and that that conviction and that heaviness of my sin and my guilt, and he replaced it with forgiveness and times of refreshing and the blood of Jesus cleansing me from all sin, washing my mind, transforming it, renewing me in the spirit of God. I was like a dead man, now resurrected, regenerated. Never the same. And it has never been the same since. And I praise God for it. Have you repented? Have you turned from your sin? Are you just bummed that you got busted? Are you genuinely sorry? Have you humbled yourself because you've offended a loving and gracious God? It is when you genuinely repent, when your repentance is as notorious as your sins. Oh, it's genuine. You could be sure of that. Well, Jesus, following the correction of their theology, gives them an illustration of God's mercy. Look at what it says now in verse 6. He also spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came, 
seeking fruit on it, and he found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well, but if not, after that, you can cut it down. Fig trees in the nation of Israel are prevalent. They can get up to 25 feet high and 20 feet wide. They provide fruit and they provide shade. But Jesus uses a very common illustration to underscore the fact of God's mercy. Some of these people theologically were thinking, God cuts people down. God cuts them off. God just, he hammers them right away. No, the opposite is true. God is like a long-suffering vine dresser who this tree is withering and dying, can't produce anything, and he gives it time. That is the picture that we have here. The fig tree was symbolic, a symbolic picture of the nation of Israel. You find it in Ezekiel, you find it in some of the other minor prophets and so forth and major prophets, a picture of the nation of Israel. God had taken the nation of Israel. He had planted them in a vineyard. He had provided a wall, it says. Isaiah talks about He provided a tower. He provided everything that that fig tree, that nation, would need in order to flourish and produce fruit for the husbandman, for the one who owned the vineyard. The owner of the vineyard was God. And the fig tree represented Israel nationally, but also it's a picture of of people individually. The Bible talks about us being like a tree. But here you have this fig tree that is in this vineyard, and it says for a period of time, for three years, it's produced nothing. It hasn't borne any fruit. It should. It's in the right place. It's planted in the right spot, but it hasn't produced anything. That's a picture of what happened to the nation of Israel. That's what they were. God had provided everything they needed. They were not producing fruits of repentance It reminds me of what Luke said in the third chapter. You remember in Luke chapter three, he said, therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now it says the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. That's what John the Baptist said. The vineyard owner, in essence, is the father. He owns the vineyard. The tree is Israel. The tree can be an individual. And the vine dresser is Jesus. And notice this. Jesus begs, intercedes on behalf of the tree that's about to be cut down. And what he asks for is for more time. Does God cut people down? Does God just cut people off? No, God is long-suffering. God is patient. God waits for people to repent. God waited a long time for you, friend. He waited a long time for me. I'm so glad that that God just didn't cut me down when I hadn't produced fruits of repentance. I should have. He has done everything that I needed for salvation. I should have repented long ago, but I didn't. But yet God, in essence, was giving me more time to repent, giving me time to get right. Have you done that? For some of you, it's been 30 years. And it's like the Lord is saying, listen, Jesus intercedes and he says, let me dig around the tree. Let me get down to the root system. Let me put nutrients into it. Let me put this kind of fertilization in it that will cause it hopefully to bear fruit. I'm going to give it time. And if it doesn't produce fruit, eventually, then it's going to be cut down. But right now, there's time to repent. Guys, God, that's what's being shown here. God gives us time to repent. 
He gives us time to turn. And he said to these people, unless you repent, you're going to likewise perish. But it's not his desire that any should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of his son. And so he gives us time. He digs around our life. And you know what he uses to dig around our lives? Sometimes trials. Sometimes hardships. Sometimes broken relationships. It's like he's digging into my life. What is going on here? What is happening here? God's trying to get your attention, friend. God's trying to get your attention through his long-suffering and forbearance to get you to repent, to get you to see your need for him. And so this is falling apart, and that's not happening, and and this thing fell through, and you don't have an answer for it, and really you've been running from God, and God's the one. It's just like he's digging around that tree. He's digging around your life, and he's uprooting things and pulling things out. Meanwhile, he's trying to pour things into you, and you're not yielding to it, but there's hope, there's time that he gives you to repent. Do you see it? Do you see the hand of God in that way? A person here this morning that thinks God is unconcerned about this world. How could God allow this to happen? God is long-suffering. God is patient. I've often wondered when people come up with that question about suffering. I, again, don't have all the answers. I don't know why God allows suffering. And there are many things I don't understand about God. I know that God is good. I know that God uses suffering for his purposes and God can be glorified even in the midst of that. But sometimes people who are very adamant about how could a God and how come he just caused suffering? And you know what? Sometimes I'll ask them, let me ask you a question. I don't have all the answers to your question, but let me ask you a question. What do you think God should do with people who cause other people to suffer? It's usually a pause. And then there's a follow-up question. And the follow-up question is this. Have you ever caused anybody to suffer? You ever hurt anybody? You ever broken somebody's heart? You ever lied to somebody? You ever hurt somebody deeply? You ever caused somebody else in this world to suffer? What should God do to you? Well, that's different. I don't, uh, you know. Is it different? Or is the Lord saying here, unless you repent, you will also likewise perish. This is the real issue. Jesus is calling for repentance. The Bible tells us that we will be known by our fruit. The Bible refers to a believer in the living God as a tree, like a tree, Psalm 1 talks about, planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season. His leaf does not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The Apostle Paul prayed for the church, I believe, in Ephesus, and he prayed that they would be rooted and grounded in the love of God. This agricultural term, I want you to be rooted deep into the love of God so that you can bear fruit. Jesus said, you will know them by their fruits. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. The Bible speaks of the believer bearing spiritual fruit. You say, what kind of fruit? Paul said in writing to the Galatians, the fruit of the spirit, which is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the fruits of the Spirit that are produced in a life that is yielded to God, to the life that is repented and turned to God from sin. The Bible says those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. The Bible also talks about the fruit of thanksgiving. In Hebrews, it says, Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips in the giving of thanks to his name. A person asks, Well, how can I bear fruit in my life? What is the way whereby I am able to see fruit of this kind produced 
Jesus told us very clearly in John's gospel, the 15th chapter, one of my favorite passages in scripture. He said, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you will bear much fruit. As you abide in Jesus, that is dwell with him, have fellowship with him, you repent of sin, you enter into relationship with him, you abide in him, stay with him and dwell in his word and abide in his word, the natural progression, the natural byproduct of this kind of life of abiding is you will have fruit, spiritual fruit in your marriage, with your children, in your ministry, in the workplace, wherever it is that God sends you, there will be fruit coming forth from your life. Not just simply foliage, friend, but fruit will be produced as a result of abiding in Jesus. I can't produce that in and of myself. Being able to produce fruit depends on where I am planted. And if I am planted in Christ, and I am planted firmly in his word, rooted and grounded in his love, these things will then come forth from my life. Not me trying to mass produce it on my own, but something that God produces in and through my life. And he will do the same with you. Following this correction of theology and also this illustration of his mercy, finally what we come to this morning is a demonstration of his sympathy. It says in verse 10, now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath and behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called to her and said to her, woman, you are loose from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, I like that, and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, And he said to the crowd, there are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. And Jesus answered and said, hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey in the stall and and lead it away to water it? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, 18 years being loosed from this bond on the Sabbath And when he had said these things, his adversaries were put to shame and all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. As you are well aware of at this point, the Sabbath day was an important day in the life of the Jewish person. The religious leaders had established many rules that were to be upheld and respected, they felt. And on this occasion, Jesus, as on many other occasions, decided to do a miracle on the Sabbath day, correcting what they had put on the people, these burdens of religiosity that were unnecessary. And I love that it says, as Jesus goes into the synagogue, he finds a woman for 18 years who is completely bent over. She is hunched over in her back. She has no proper posture. She's completely bent over. And I love the fact that Jesus, first of all, that Jesus sees her in that condition, which tells me he's looking for people that need him. He looks for the people that are bent over. He looks for the people that are hurting. He looks for those people that can't do anything apart from him, and and he looks for them, and he seeks to minister to them. The other thing that stands out to me is this woman in this condition for 18 years, notice where she is. Where is she at? She's in the temple. She's in the synagogue. She's in church. Some Christians, they don't want to go to church because it's raining. 
No, I can't go to church. Listen, this lady, 18 years, bent over. She is in the house of the Lord. She's there to worship the Lord the best that she can. Jesus sees her condition, and he goes to minister to her. It says he saw her, and then it says after he saw her, he called her. Many people probably would have avoided her. What's wrong with that lady? Why is she bent over like that? Stand up. She can't. 18 years bound. And we find out that this that had bound her was a spirit of infirmity by the devil. I don't know how all that works, but nonetheless, the devil had used this in her life. Jesus saw her, he called her, and then he spoke to her. The words of Jesus, he said, be loosed from your infirmity. And then he laid his hands on her. How wonderful that is. And she was healed from that moment on. She was never the same. That which was crooked had now been made straight. And I want you to see her response to the touch of Jesus. It says there, and you can read it, she began to glorify God. I don't know how you came in here today. I don't know what your mindset has been. Maybe your life is pretty crooked right now. Maybe you're pretty bent over, as it were, spiritually. Things aren't well. There's a spirit of infirmity. The devil is working overtime to keep you in bondage. But the words of Jesus, Jesus sees you, he calls you, he speaks to you, be loosed, be free. You don't have to go on like that anymore. You can be liberated. In light of the context of this, the overwhelming emphasis, the underlying message for being freed, for being delivered, is simply this, repentance. Repentance. This is God's gracious invitation here this morning to us. If you can hear his voice, repent. Turn. Unless you repent, you will also likewise perish, the Bible says. But Jesus came so that you would not have to perish, but that you could have everlasting life. Finally, let me say this, because somebody asked me this question after first service. There's never going to come a time when you're going to not need to repent of something. You know what I mean? You get saved, you don't become sinless. Hopefully you sin less, but not sinless. I found myself repenting all the time. (laughs) Poor attitude, different things. I'm so glad that Jesus didn't show me everything about me the day I got saved. But progressively over my life in this process of sanctification, a work of the spirit, he who began the good work in me, He's going to be faithful to complete it. And when he shows me something, I repent. Lord, I'm sorry. That is not Jesus. (laughs) That attitude, that whatever it is. But, But there is this first initial genuine repentance of turning from the old life of sin. Have you done that? If you have, you can have the assurance that you are saved, friend. And if you haven't, there's no greater time than today to repent. Why do bad things happen? That's been the question of the day here on The Daily Walk, and it's also the title of today's message from Pastor John Randall. Would you like to hear this message again? Just go to adailywalk.org or listen wherever you get your podcasts or call and request a CD copy for a cost of $5 at 877-242-0828. That's 877-242-0828. Another convenient way to listen to Pastor John is through our mobile app. Be among the thousands that are being encouraged in their daily walk by downloading that today. Find our app by searching for Calvary South OC. 
Hi, this is Michelle Randall with some exciting news about my new 366-day devotional, A Daily Walk for Women. You know, it's my prayer that these words from my personal devotional life will encourage you in this season that you're in and throughout the year. It's my hope that this devotional will really prime the pump and get you moving in the right direction each morning and be sort of like a pep talk from your personal cheerleader. I pray that you enjoy this labor of love as you look to Jesus each day. A Daily Walk for Women by Michelle Randall, Pastor John's wife. Recently published and expanded to 366 readings, you can now be encouraged each day for this new year. Maybe request one or two extra to give away. Request A Daily Walk for Women for the special price of $15 when you call 877-242-0828 or go online to adailywalk.org. Please remember, it's your generosity that helps us remain a biblical voice on stations like this one all across the nation. With your help, we're delivering God's good news at a critical time in human history. No gift is too small to be used by God in great ways. Again, our number is 877-242-0828, or you can donate online at adailywalk.org. You know, we're reminded on a continual basis that the Lord is doing great things through the radio and the internet today. And maybe he's doing something amazing in your life. We want to hear about that. Pastor John would be very encouraged by what you have to say. Write to us today by email at adailywalk at gmail.com. That's adailywalk at gmail.com. Come on back next time when Pastor John Randall will share another study in the Gospel of Luke to help us in our daily walk. This program is brought to you by Calvary South OC and made possible through your generosity.